T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. If we hope to survive in this digital age, we have to think critically about the messages we consume. Someone created those messages for a reason. Let's find out why. Sometimes we just have to ask, what the media? I'm Megan Lynch, virtual consumer editor at KMOX Radio. In this episode, a study from the University of Missouri found that many Americans are unaware of the role AI plays in the news they consume. What role does artificial intelligence play in news content? We talk with study author Chad Owsley, Ph.D. candidate in the School of Journalism at the University of Missouri, and Dr. Keith Greenwood, associate professor at Mizzou and also a research advisor on the project. AI plays a lot of different roles. It can be useful in an assistive capacity, um, helping journalists to pull together the things that they might be doing research on to write a story, can help them with their, uh, you know, their searching and gathering information. Um, it's applicable in creating information as well. There are a lot of uh, systems in place that can take um, specific structured sort of data like business economic data or box scores from baseball games or something like that and have the programming to be able to actually then write the story uh, that can go out on their website or newsfeed or something like that. So there's really quite a range of ways that AI has been implemented in terms of news creation. What we found, uh, the Associated Press works with a third party. They they work with Automated Insights and their AI program called Wordsmith that generates um, natural human language text based off of structured data. So as as uh, as Keith was talking about, if it's sports stats or anything that could be uh, stored and saved into a database or a spreadsheet can then be extracted and turned into a natural language uh, story and text. Uh, Forbes has Birdie. They use it for their um, intelligent content management systems and to help, you know, it's an assistive role in uh, producing short form uh, news articles, especially things around uh, economics and, um, and, and finance. If, if my, background is is correct that's that's how they're they were using or at least they were using it um when i was looking through the the literature a, a couple of years ago as we were developing that paper uh washington post has heliograph reuters has been 
in this uh, game of of using artificial intelligence the the longest that that we could find going all the way back to um, 2006 as an assistive role um over the years it's progressed into a more um uh autonomous uh, agent where there's no humans past the the programming stage so it's producing out um short form news articles uh, all on its own. Now, it's interesting. So when you ask the question, you know, where do we see AI um, in operation? And you're specifically talking about uh, roles and capacities in journalism. But that that paper that, that we looked at was was also looking at our general awareness or general perceptions of AI. Um, because at this point with uh, the, the technology that we have, um, artificial intelligence uh, or intelligent machines based on artificial intelligence has become rather ubiquitous in, in our, our everyday lives. Everything from uh, automated sentence completion, when we're typing into Google, asking a question of where can I find the, the you know, the nearest place that, that carries whatever, you know, it's, it's finishing off the sentence for us. That's intelligent um, systems working. Um, Every time we're in, a, in an email and we're typing out, um, uh, thank you very much, and it finishes off the sentence for us, that's, that's artificial intelligence uh, or intelligent systems working. Uh, when we open Siri and ask Siri a question or Alexa a question or Google's um, assistive technology, those are all AI systems. And so um, that was one of the most fascinating elements uh, that we found is that with so much technology out there already incorporating artificial intelligence, um, the level of awareness is very low. People are just simply not generally accustomed to thinking these machines they're they're using are operating on an intelligent machine. I'm wondering then if it has amused you all the fervor over chat GPT and the concerns about that and then the new search engines that were just announced and concerns that they, they might hallucinate and just kind of generate um, false information, you know, and all of a sudden everybody's upset about this. And, and as you said, this has kind of been creeping in for some time now. That's right. That's right. Yeah. The, uh, the, the recent, uh, I'm, I'm calling it kind of a watershed moment. This when OpenAI released ChatGPT out for the masses last fall, um, it, it really captured the attention of the mass media in a way that 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 previously um, other iterative advances in uh, machine learning and intelligent machines hadn't really captured um, uh, of the public's attention, and so now we're we're looking at what it means when these uh, intelligent machines can can talk to us through our searches, like yeah, Microsoft and uh, releasing it in Bing. Yes, I do find it um, uh, pleasant. I, I would say, not, I, I don't want to say amusing. I'm not laughing at it, but to know that this research that we did um, now a couple of years uh, since the survey was completed. Um, and now we have a moment where it's like, okay, we've been watching it for a while. Now the public is seeing it, but you know it'll be interesting. So even in that that research, uh, talking about uh, at the end, you know, future outcomes, what will this survey look like in a couple of years in a post-pandemic environment after even more 
exposure to this technology, it becomes apparent. So now we have um, uh, chat GPT coming in and everybody's talking about it. While that will eventually subside and people will, you know, kind of forget about the fervor, um, at least now we, we may see an uptick in, in levels of awareness. Before we go into some of the other issues, let's talk about just what your core findings were from this survey. What did you learn from the survey? We were looking for uh, correlation effects, how a person's general awareness or perception of AI may impact their level of awareness uh, or level of perceptions of AI operating in the specific capacity of journalism. And so we were, yeah, so through this comparison, um, in the first place, very uh, significantly low levels of, of awareness. Less than half of the participants surveyed were generally aware of artificial intelligence operating in their life. As we talk more specifically or ask questions about more specific industries, those frequencies, those values dropped. So by the time we got to awareness of AI operating in journalism and in broadcast, those were the lowest numbers, 29% in journalism, 19% in uh, being aware of artificial intelligence operating in broadcast. And, uh, and, and then beyond that, when we started looking at correlation effects, some of the <clears throat> very interesting findings were in the offset. So a, a lot of the correlation followed natural tendencies or natural assumptions. As general awareness increased, levels of awareness uh, in specific uh, areas or specific capacities also increased. Um, but one in particular that was an interesting diversion from that was um, in thinking about emotion. So we asked a question of whether or not a person believed AI was capable of experiencing or expressing emotion. Um, and as levels of uh, assumptions of AI being able to experience emotion, they also had a tendency to believe that AI could produce journalism. So those numbers went up. Um, Emotion seemed to be correlated with journalism. However, when we asked the question, could AI um, uh, operate on logic, on thinking, on rational thinking, uh, as that value increased, the value of, of assuming AI could also produce journalism went the other direction. It went down. And so as people thought AI was a rational thinker, they thought it was less capable of producing journalism. But when they thought AI was capable of expressing emotion, they felt it was more capable of producing journalism. And this led to some, you know, some core uh, principle challenges, right? Is journalism an emotion-based activity or is journalism supposed to be reliant on rational thinking? Um, it's an interesting question. Now, we, we can't answer that question with this particular research, but we can certainly use this to uh, delve into that in a more exploratory sense. That's very interesting. And I, I will have to ponder that for a while, I think, before you know I draw some conclusions on my own. One of the questions, though, around that, I, I got to thinking, if we have AI creating stories, will news content become more homogenous? because of that, instead of the diversity that we might have with human journalists? On the surface, we, first we have to uh, establish 
what is in, in the present sense of artificial narrow intelligence, what is its uh, capacity to produce this journalism? So it can produce the, the natural human language information based off of structured data, but that does not mean that it understands the value of what it's producing. And so news value, news worthiness is still a, a human capacity role. It would still take an editor to um, look at the data, look at the information that was produced to discern whether or not there was value here, something to dig deeper into or look further into. And, um, and so you still have uh, that, that level of, of human subjectivity that can uh, maintain a value of diversity um, to offset homogeny, uh, hegemony. Uh, but on the other hand, when I think about um, some of the capacities of artificial intelligence is the ability to um, automatically or automate the uh, ability to um, communicate a news information in multi-languages. So there's, um, for example, there's a, a program called Trinity Audio. This is a, a, a plug-in that takes text and con converts text into natural spoken language. And uh, I've been discovering that more newsrooms are using this as a plugin on their websites. It takes the, the written story that's on the page and reads it to you in a, in a natural human voice. Now, so far, they're just using it um, to, you know, if it's a written story in English, it's spoken in English. But Trinity Audio um, already talks about this capacity to translate that story into multiple languages. So you could have a, a story written in English but spoken in Spanish, uh, or you could have it written in, in, in one language and spoken in another. And I think in that regard, it actually maintains reaching a diverse audience anyway. Even if the story is not so diverse in its, in its reporting, the audience that it can reach is a, a wider audience just simply because it's able to reach them in... in um, in, a, in, in, in at least their language that they understand, yeah. You know, what's so fascinating in this for me is after years of maybe digging through data and making sure that I was doing my equations correctly, now I've got to trust that the programming is correct on AI. And, you know, you mentioned kind of that human editorial factor there. I, I would have to think that that is going to be key going forward, that we just can't hand these things over to AI without some level of, gatekeeping or human oversight absolutely and this is something that that um even years ago when i was living in china and working at uh, a chinese newspaper over there and we were moving to a digital format we were we were print-based weekly tap uh, weekly uh, but moving into uh digital first and the question came up you know if you're moving in and this was even without ai just simply moving to consumer generated journalism how do you incorporate this this essentially this third party into the journalism workflow um but even then we we had established that you still needed uh or it still was beneficial to have a, a trained uh, trained in journalistic values, an editor that could maintain uh, some kind of a gatekeeping strategy to make sure that the information was accurate and it was factual. Google, if you if you saw, just really has egg on its face for responding so quickly to uh, Bing and ChatGPT um, by launching their version of an AI-assisted um, 
uh, search engine, uh, a search response, and their response was uh, incorrect when they asked it um, uh, to talk about the James Webb telescope and what it was capable of capturing. And it said that this was the first device that was capable of photographing a, a, a distant, um, uh, far, you know, outside of the solar system planet, and that actually wasn't accurate. And so even when these machines can produce um, very, what sounds like qualified responses, it still requires a human with knowledge in that area to fact check the accuracy of the information that's being presented. Unfortunately, we are running out of time, but I think the last question I would have for both of you is when we look at this type of technology being used, you know, um, both for, you know, creating news content and even aggregating news content, what are the pros and cons and what do savvy consumers of news media need to know? Keith, let's start with you, if that's okay. Sure. Um, I mean, there's some obvious pros and cons on the uh, the business side, um, you know, the more if we can invest in a product that can create the basic kinds of stories, we can free up reporters, editors who uh, can put their efforts into more investigative or more in-depth kind of reporting. So there are some things there that, uh, and, and possibly even turning some things around faster. Um, I think on the consumer side, and this, this I was thinking about this earlier as, as um, uh, you and Chad were talking, a lot of the relationship between consumers and the sources of news is built on trust and perceptions of credibility. And so there's always been some responsibility on people to kind of critically consume that that news and the way it's presented to them. Is this an organization that I believe I can trust to give me good information? This doesn't really change that. It changes how that information is being created. It doesn't and shouldn't necessarily lead people just to say, oh, well, I don't trust machines or I don't trust these AI things, so I'm not going to trust any of my news, that the organization isn't being run by an artificial intelligence. The organization is still those people who are doing their best to try to create information and present it to you that you can make something out of and, and, you know, incorporate into your life and assess and so on. So I don't think it, it really changes what people should be doing with, with journalistic content, wherever it comes from. But these new tools that are, are coming out when we are talking about the, the chat GP and some of the things that are able to create visuals now, it just sort of brings more into relief that awareness of, I should I should be assessing what is being put in front of me rather than just saying, oh, it's, I don't trust that or I do trust that. Chad, for you, pros and cons of this and, and what uh, news consumers need to know. Sure. Yeah. And I was thinking on, on uh, as, as Keith was talking about the, um, you know, it's still the essentially the responsibility of the, the viewer, the reader, to assess where their information is coming from. Um, but I would caution that, you know, anytime we start to introduce the shiny new object, you know, the shiny new toy into an operation, um, just because it's shiny and new doesn't mean um, 
it should be, you know, full throated, uh, you know, thrown into the mix without some level of caution or, or reservation to understand how this information is going to be um, received. And so there's still, uh, you know, I believe a, a significant level of responsibility on, on the news organization's part to ensure that when they are going to introduce new tools or new methods of, of uh, delivery or, or for the consumer, new methods of consumption, uh, that they're being very transparent in the way that the information's given to the, the viewer so that they can make that most informed decision of how do I feel about my information coming from these particular resources? When, when there's a layer of opacity in where the information is coming from, people have a, a natural tendency to, you know, in a sense, like, anthropomorphize the, the, the information, that it comes from a known source. And that may be a fictional known source, in, you know, an internal known source for the, 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 uh, the, the reader if the news organization is not being transparent about where that source is or where that information is sourced. And so it is a relationship of responsibilities um, that news organizations should be very, very careful about making sure that, that their readers and their audience knows where, how they are producing their information, what tools the industry is using in order to present this, this information to an audience and not just assume that the audience will know on their own, because even in our own research, we found that, that the audience isn't going to actively seek out and find out what's, what's under the hood or how it operates. As long as it works, they're fine with it, but um, it may be helpful to let them know how it is working so that they can be more informed about um, where they're going to get the information from. What the Media is produced by Odyssey St. Louis from the studios of KMOX Radio. I'm Megan Lynch. Our executive producer is Beth Coglin. We invite you to visit KMOX.com for more on our media literacy project. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.